Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. You're going to have some laughs with two friends of mine in Boston this week. Bert and Johnny Jacobs, the founders of Life is Good. Life is Good is a t-shirt company that puts an optimistic message on our chests. And by doing so, it's lifted the lives of millions of children. Bert and Johnny are also good friends with Kevin, the manager. So it's only natural that they'd have some fun with Kevin too, even though Kevin is back in LA, about 3,000 miles away. Just being around Bert and Johnny is inspiring. Back in 1989, these two brothers who grew up sleeping in a bunk bed bought a used minivan that they named the Enterprise and drove around the country trying to sell the t-shirts they created. After five years of toil, they had a combined $78 to their names. You're going to hear the wonderful story of how that journey has turned into a $100 million business that helps a million kids every year. You're also going to hear the advice they pass on to me as I sprint down the home stretch of Million Dollar May. This episode puts me in the odd position of having guests who represent a company that makes t-shirts while having a company that makes t-shirts, hoodies, and sweatpants as a sponsor. But I'm telling you, if I place Bert and Johnny at a table next to the founders of Sportique, Matt and Jason, they'd love each other. Guaranteed. In fact, that's what I gotta do. Get all four of them over a table to break some bread. Because all of them have a great sense of purpose to create products that lift our lives. And the world is better for them. I wonder what would happen if I wore a Life is Good t-shirt and a Sportique hoodie at the same time. Man, you'd be swathed in optimism and great comfort. What a combination. And that reminds me, Jason and Matt, we've got to tell everyone about the Sportique story on Big Questions. It's an amazing one. Got to make that happen on my next trip to Phoenix. But right now, I'm in Boston. Now, something happened to me in Boston that made me see life differently. Twice this week, I had some audio problems with recorders while doing podcasts. For the start of this episode, my voice is going to sound a little funky. You can hear it, but the quality isn't the same as Bert and Johnny's voices. I have no idea what happened. The wiring between my mic and the recorder might have been disconnected, so my voice had to be picked up off Bert and Johnny's mics. I apologize, and I hope it won't affect your experience. It certainly won't when Bert and Johnny are singing. And after the intermission, the recorder was rewired, and my voice comes to you clearly. I want to send much gratitude to my engineer, Luz Fleming, for using all of his skills to make sure my voice can be heard in that first section, but this gets to a larger point. I had a crazy experience on another day when I went to do another podcast in Boston. The podcast was scheduled at MIT, and I was offered the technology in an MIT lab. This was big time. And I thought I had reached a point of proficiency where I can handle the elaborate setup. Yet, again, my voice didn't record. I don't think even Luz Fleming can fix that one. Now, look, I know this stuff happens, but here's the fundamental life-changing point for me. I met so many kind people at MIT 
that by week's end, I thought, you know, I'm tired of being nervous around technology. I'm tired of feeling like I can't be at one with technology. It's time for me to step up and make technology my friend. I've already recorded a bunch of episodes going forward, but from this point on, every time I go out to record a podcast, I'm going to double down to bring you the best audio possible. So thanks for bearing with my voice early on. But you know what? Bert and Johnny are so entertaining that after a while, I hope you don't even notice the funkiness in my voice. So let's get straight to Bert and Johnny. I am here with Bert and Johnny. And the first thing we got to do is let everybody know your voices so that they can figure out who's talking half the time. Cal, good to be here, buddy. How are you? This is Bert. And, and how would you describe your voice, Bert? Smoky and sexy. Okay. Johnny. Hey there. <laughs> it's, it's Barry White coming to you live. This is Johnny. No, this is John Jacobs. Johnny, uh, we are here in Boston and excited to talk to Cal. And I'm glad to be at this table because I got some obstacles ahead of me. And you guys are just the people who know how to get past obstacles. Or, if you don't get past them, how to be optimistic as you go around them. You got it, buddy. How can we help you? Okay, so about... The there's end. a cost for these services. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a cost for everything, Cal. You've been around. You know that. It gets you one way or the other. Well, let, let me know. Tell me now before I get to the end. Oh, no. that's a, The best billing comes blind. It's a blind side. Yeah, well, we don't know the severity of your obstacles. So how could, how could we, you know, if one thing we've learned is you can't price something before you know what you're going to do. Yeah. All right, so here's what happens. And you guys were there at the start of the journey when I started to speak. And Summit at Sea changed my life. One night, I'd been writing for decades. All of a sudden, I get up one night to talk, and after that, people are coming up saying, speak at our conference or company. And that takes me on a journey to all these companies. I'm speaking, but I'm also discovering that a lot of these companies are having trouble telling their stories, their authentic stories. So I start a company to help them do so. Well, first of all, can we just comment on Summit at Sea? Sure. Because that was pretty awesome. You were there too, right, Johnny? Great time, yep. Yeah, I mean, we knew, know a lot of those people. Many of them didn't know Cal Fussman. And, uh, you know, we were helping spread the word a little bit and say, hey, this is, this is a friend of ours and he's really good and, you know, let, let's go support and see what happens. And that, that everybody wanted to hear you by the time you were ready to talk. But then you took over and the place just, just was on fire. It was absolutely on fire and they couldn't get enough of you. So I'm not surprised that that led to so much. It was just... Uh, you know, and, and you were connecting with people that uh, were a lot younger than you. 
by and large, not everybody in the room, but don't you think? Oh, yeah. That was a pretty young audience. From, from my vantage point, it looked like Wayne Gretzky had gotten up and done a 360 dunk because you were the writer in the, in the room, and all of a sudden you had captivated everybody. And it was electric. The crowd, seriously, the crowd was... Yeah, and it was a bunch of went entrepreneurial hipsters that have done too much by the time they're 28. Like, we've already, you know, built and sold two companies, and I retired twice, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm pivoting my life, and I, I can't even explain how smart I am or how advanced, and uh, I'm colonizing a planet, and I'm trying to figure out what to name it. That, that's what a lot of those people are. So they don't easily get impressed. That was the thing. But I think you, you grounded them with some timeless stuff. And that, that it was juicing us. It was juicing everybody in there. At the time, I didn't even realize all that because I was just in the moment. Yeah. And so as this took off, it sent me into these companies. And now I'm learning that a lot of them didn't really know how to tell their stories and, yeah. and wanted the help. And so I started to do that, and then I'm going to speak, or I was speaking in Fort Worth, Texas, at an EO event, Entrepreneurs' Organization, and the night before the speech, two entrepreneurs take me out, and I'm telling them, I just started this business, but I'm, I don't know how to be a CEO, I'm a terrible CEO, I've never delegated in my life, I don't know the first thing about it. And one of the guys... You wear the, hat out of, wear the hell out of a fedora, though. Right? <laughs> How many CEOs wear a fedora? That's kind of the point. Very few. Not under enough. 4%. Yeah. Right. And they're all in Central America. <laughs> <laughs> so, during that dinner, one of the entrepreneurs looks at me and says, Look, Cal, you like have breakfast with Larry King every morning. You, you're friends with Tim Ferriss. Like, what do they see in you that you don't see in yourself? And I thought, wow, what do they see in me that I don't see in myself? So I come out the next night to give my speech. In the middle of the speech, I reference this conversation. And I said, okay, I'm the CEO. So you know what? By the end of May, my company's going to bring in $1 million in new revenue. And it's a crowd of entrepreneurs there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How I'm going to do it, I have no idea. But you know what it did? It forced me to step out yeah. and let people know. And when I did that into the microphone so that people listening to the podcast could hear, all of a sudden everybody's jumping in to help. Yeah. It was really amazing. Yeah. But now the phone rang is ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. I've been a writer alone. I'm like, leave me alone. Right. I just want to get my work done. Right. But now I, it's not leave me alone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I'm like caught in this crossfire or it's just like wind is blowing in every direction. Yeah. But we start moving onward, and I'm starting to get a lot of orders. Yeah, nice. We're, we're moving here. Yeah. We're moving. Yeah. And we're getting to the point where really not that far away. Now, a lot of deals got to close. Kevin, the manager's working straight through, yeah. not even taking a day of vacation. Yeah. But it takes a while. Kevin Heckmat, your manager? Kevin, the manager. I, I, the Kevin, the manager. I, I. Uh, manager <laughs> the 
Russia. Russia. <laughs> Bugs Bunny, best episode ever. Bugs Bunny versus the Crusher. Undefeated world heavyweight champion versus a skinny rabbit. Uh, I just want to make a quick comment that uh, I, I never did and I don't trust Kevin Heckmatt. I don't, I don't. I think you got to free yourself from his claws. Yeah, that guy, he's, he's got his hand in your pocket, man. And I don't care how many people hear this. Like, he knows, Kevin Heckmatt knows that when I see him publicly somewhere, the looks I give him, that there's a, there's a vibe and it ain't pretty. And if, it, and if it's going to come to blows, let it happen. You know, I'm here. Come to come to Boston, heck, Matt, anytime. I'll take you down. You talked about the crossfire. I mean, I, I've had a completely different experience with Kevin Heckmatt, where we stare, we shared not a, a bed, but a bunk bed. Yeah, see, but Johnny, you're naive. Austin, I mean, so, you're, yeah, that's, between that's you and Chad, I don't know who's more naive. You think Heckmatt's both falling into in the, our walls. the web of the of the spider? Who will? Who Cal, will did take you ever you? see Superbad the movie? Super bad. It was like we were two junior high kids talking through every puzzle in the universe. And uh, I think that's a deep, intelligent manager you have there. Maybe he's got me fooled. And Bert's on to him. You tell a few jokes, you reference a couple of like, uh, you know, lowbrow movie, movies, and Johnny's impressed and thinks you're a high integrity person. The fact of the matter is, he's robbing you both. We don't have to spend much more time on Kevin Heckmatt, but that it dude. It sounds is... like he should be behind bars. Kevin. He's what they call a bad seed. <laughs> uh, well, beware the tangent with the Jacobs brothers, Cal. <laughs> beware the tangent. Stay clear of the moors. That's why I'm here for all the tangents. <laughs> so basically, I'm looking at that goal, and it's it's in sight. But I don't know that we're going to close all the deals. And then last week... We know you're not going to, but that's okay. It's okay. You're going to get a lot more coming okay. in. Yeah, and, and actually, you I don't mean to jump in, but you want to be selective. So maybe the 40% that you don't close, they weren't meant to be, or they, they weren't the right matchup for you. A, a few of them that you close are going to be gems, and you're going to build off those, and the word of mouth is going to spread from that. Let's try to add value when we're asked. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Sorry, we brought a, I, I didn't realize we brought a cynic, a snarky bastard. It can't be a cynic. This is a company of optimism. Oh, that's just I'm a, a front. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool pessimist. <laughs> I mean, I put on that happy face when it's visuals, but this is audio. And then with audio, you get the truth and nothing but the truth. From the truth fairy. Bert jumped on the optimism train very late after we busted through 80 million in sales, I think. But he's part of the team. I'm optimistic about the future of pessimism <laughs> in our country and globally. I think we can take down all of you half glass, half full types. All hail negativo, our emperor. All right, Cal, back to you. Anybody can see why life is good is a mad success based on... Mad is a good adjective. Mad <laughs> is a great adjective. Yeah, not well upstairs. So, so here's the question. Now, I've been... A lot of business people have been giving me advice. My friend Paul at Software Motor Company, he said, you know, Cal, if you make the million dollars and you achieve the goal, you know what that means? It means you didn't aim high enough. 
And he also said, and if you don't make it, but you came close, hey, go out and celebrate because where were you the day before you came up with your crazy idea? Right. And so I'm sort of going back and forth on this. And then I had this amazing conversation with a woman named Deep Mazur. And she is the CEO of a production company. And she also is an author. And she was telling me, and let me see if you both agree with this, that being the CEO is very much like being a writer. You get to script your company's story. And things happen, and then you get to write new plot lines and get around the obstacles. Is that is that the way you see it? I think that's true. I, I yeah. I mean, being a writer is being a visionary, and part of the CEO's job is to be visionary, right? Yeah. And I, we have I the benefit. We have the benefit. I don't know how many brands have this, but our community is actually co-writing the story. They keep telling us these critical parts of the story and really the deepest one of all was the depth of those three simple words life is good it's not life is easy not life is perfect and that wasn't readily apparent to us at the beginning but yeah bird, bird is right that that is part of the leader's job and it over it overlaps with the the world of a writer well let's go back to the beginning in fact i got the life is good book written by Burton John Jacobs here, and there's a photo of you in your bunk beds when you were kids. And are we going to leave us in suspense about the, the Cal Fussman career and where we're at? Oh, we're going to loop back. Well, what happened is, and we're recording this before the end of May, so I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. Well, is the end? Of, what does the end of May represent? Well, that's I, I said that by the end of May, I will my company will bring in a million dollars of new business. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. I got a million bucks. Maybe by the end of May, May. I guess you'd say, what can help Cal feel that way? Money, money. Benjamin's money. talking about Benjamin's money. <laughs> Cal Fussman dreaming on a winner's day. On a winner's day. Cal Fussman dreaming. Cal Fussman dreaming. For the month of May. And the month of May. Got into my revenues. <laughs> I booked some please, tops please. along the please way. Kevin Hackman needed to book seven more this month before I hit my goal. <laughs> you know what? I pronounced Million Dollar May a success just based on it led me to that musical collaboration. Thank right you. here. Yes. Right here. And there we go. No matter what happens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go back. And like I know the story, but I want everybody that is listening. And they're out there in Mongolia. Yeah. They're in all over the world. 
that little box, that little black box, gives me all the tools to yeah. get all around the world. Yeah. And I want them to know how this collaboration came about to create this great music, amazing t-shirts, a, a brand that has lifted so many people through optimism and I don't know how many kids you've helped, but when we get to that number, it's gonna make me just stop and wonder, like, could you have imagined when you started this that you would affect that many people? Well, thank you for the kind words, Cal. Can I, can I suggest something on how we do this? Sure. So we've never done this, and Johnny doesn't know what I'm gonna say, but like, um, what if we do like a 20-second uh, version? Right. One of us does a 20-second version. Okay. Then the other guy's got to do like a one-minute version. Okay. And then you kind of control it, and you say after that, okay, let's get a little more detail or not. Let's start with the quickest version possible. Before we go back to Cal, because I'm enjoying this, but I like it, Bert. Um, we'll do a quickie. What did you say? How many seconds? Uh, no, well, meaning like... What, a 20-second version? Yeah, 20-second. I'm, I'm going to give a 20-second version of the whole thing. Okay, do you yeah. want to time Come on. Or, or I got it. Come got, on. All right. Yeah. 20-second version of how you created this magnificent yeah. company. Okay. Right? Uh, five and a half years of bad ideas, <laughs> and then one good idea, because the news is bad news too often. So we said, let's make t-shirts with good news. And lo and behold, it sold. And we don't know what happened after that. Everybody started helping us and it grew like mad. And it was kind of like you just said, where the winds were coming from all different directions. And uh, the next thing we knew, we woke up and Cal Fussman was interviewing us about it. <laughs> you know how By golly, I like it. I'll invest in that company. <laughs> Do you know how good that makes me feel? Because when you're going through it on your own, you tend to think, this is just me. Yeah. But yeah. when you're an entrepreneur with an idea, yeah. and you're out there going after your dream, yeah. you're actually connected with so many others That's right. that are going through a similar experience in their own way. That's yep. right. Yeah. Yeah, and even people so outside of business. I mean, that, that may broaden it too much. but the same, the same methodology or mindset is very effective when somebody's facing anxiety, depression, you know, the, oh my God, I'm going through this alone. Nobody's ever gone through this. The fact is that so many, millions and millions of people go through it and are going through it today. And once you know that, it's a bit comforting. It's part of the animal that we are, you know, that we, we want to be part of a team. And when you feel like you're alone, it seems unsurmountable. But yeah, that, that I think is, is, is definitely something that we recognized early on is that a lot of the solutions and answers didn't have to come from us and that we could, it was okay to sort of throw our hands up and say, I don't know, we don't know what to do. People want to help you. John, anything to add to that? Well, I was just, I was just doing push-ups mentally, getting ready for my one-minute show, starring John Jacobs. <laughs> Bring it on, ladies and gentlemen. John Jacobs, 60 seconds. I literally Click. am putting a stopwatch. You went way over 20, it seemed. Although I, I like seven. I like how you tied <laughs> 51 and seconds and we don't have a word. The clock begins. Time is up. Nah. 
There I was, the wind whipping against my hair. Gorgeous as the day I was born. Um, it began in the house with Joan. She was the biggest inspiration for our brand. And, but we're going to hit on that separately. Bert and I came out of college looking for a way to combine art and business. And t-shirts were an accessible way to do that. We slept in a van for five years, uh, selling in college dorms, door to door. We'd pack the van full of shirts. We'd sleep on the back of them. It was, we were wildly unsuccessful. Finally, we had one good idea based on the idea that the news was inundating people with negative information. People were, had enough murder, fire, disaster. We wanted to help people focus on the good in their lives and the world. That led to the first Life is Good tea. It resonated, it clicked, it started selling. And as the business grew, the most unexpected and powerful thing happened. We started getting letters and emails from people going through great adversity. And they showed us that optimism is actually most powerful in the hardest times. These are people going through chemo, losing loved ones, saying, I've now got this elevated sense of gratitude, this better perspective. I am so lucky to be breathing, to be having a meal, to have a friend. And these are the things that taught us the depth of those three simple words. Life is not easy, life is not perfect, but life is good. Nailed it! Is there any chance that you would announce your candidacy for president of the United States, Johnny? Um, I certainly want because to... you got stately there. Oh, well. So let's let's put there's a moment. I'm sorry, but you were disqualified for going over time. But it was a great effort. And I, 59 and I wish seconds. You luck in your run for presidency. You don't understand Cal's process. He always edits out 6% of the person's answer. And that brings me down to 59 seconds. <laughs> so there's this one moment that I love. To me, it's like the essence of who you guys are, of your, your brotherhood. You talk about that five years of really difficult times. I don't know if this happened in the first five years, but when you were out selling in Boston and it started to rain. Was that in the first five years? Yeah, that yes. was before life is good. Okay, so you're out selling your t-shirts on the streets yeah. in Boston. Can you like set the scene for everybody? Because this is, this is my favorite. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you story. like it. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it wasn't a good day. Uh, it wasn't, it, at first it wasn't anyway. We, we just, you know, there were times in those days where you'd go several days without selling anything. And you know, you, you, you just, it just so, so such an uphill climb because we're lugging stuff around, lugging boxes of t-shirts around. In Boston in particular, we had a Boston City Hawkers and Peddlers license and we had a Mass State Hawkers and Peddlers license. By the time you determined with the local police where you were legally able to utilize those licenses, you could never make a sale. It was actually a closet in Mongolia yeah. where we could sell. So you, re you really couldn't, like, you had to bend the law. You had to be in areas, you know, where there was foot traffic. And they restricted all these areas. And even uh, if you stayed in the unrestricted areas, the law states that you have to make a sale and then move one block from that sale. The laws were created uh, in Boston when, when there was fruit peddlers uh, and and uh, they wouldn't allow you to stay stationary in one place. So it was near impossible to kind of stick to the law. 
As a result, we had a little cat and mouse game going every day with the cops. On this particular day, a lot had gone on. We could hear them on the radios. They'd say, the Jacobs brothers are out there. You know, they knew us by name. And, uh, and you know, we'd move. We had a little card table sometimes that we'd fold up and we'd move. And one guy would watch a block down and see when the beat cop was coming. And, you know, it, it was just like that stuff was fine when you're making sales. But when you're dealing with all that and you're not making sales, it gets frustrating. That was happening, and then we'd finally get in a spot where we thought we might sell a bit because there was a lot of traffic, and we were outside Faneuil. Faneuil Hall, yep. Faneuil Hall, and uh, big touristy area, and just when we finally got a good spot, the rain started coming down. And so all your T-shirts are out? We had the T-shirts out on a little card table, but then we had our inventory, you know, which was probably a few dozen to a, to six dozen or something t-shirts in a box and it's a cardboard box and it was getting soaked and we didn't realize that at first and it got to the point where it wasn't manageable no one's going to buy this off and wet t-shirt so we we grabbed them off of the and, table and it, if i could just add it just wasn't it wasn't just raining it was like one of those things that just turned torrential it just came and, fast like you can't yeah. even see through it you know yeah. yeah, so we started packing it up, and in, and in packing it up and trying to fold the box, the box ripped, and we were trying to pick it up, and it really just ripped to shreds. And all of a sudden, you look up, and all these people were looking at us like um, it was so pathetic. I mean, we just looked like, you know, people that just didn't have a clue, which, okay, maybe we didn't so much at the time. And we um, were grasping at pieces of disintegrating cardboard as the shirts just flopped into the puddles and probably swearing at each other. All your inventory. All the inventory, yeah, which was really frustrating. But somehow in the middle of the frustration, (laughs) it was just so absurd and and it was such a bad day that sometimes you need a release. And we just started laughing. We We just started laughing about it. And we could have cried, you know, but laughter just came out. And when we started laughing, other people started laughing. And perfect strangers, what we felt like went from kind of looking at us to laughing with us. And, and the laughter just kind of connected us. And it was this amazing kind of magical little moment where we were all laughing together at how ridiculous it was. How ridiculous it, it was. It was like a mini ovation. Like people started clapping because there was so many tourists yeah, around. Yeah, they did. The applause started. And it was just like... <laughs> You know, it was just crazy. It was one of those things where we kind of felt like we picked up all the wet stuff, you know, which we later dried and sold. I don't know if we... we... Oh, that ruins the story. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing is... Yeah, no, no. No, no. We didn't sell them that day. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, Weren't you out dancing in the rain while everybody was applauding? Well, we started the dance. Yeah, we hammed yeah. it up at, yeah, because of that. Like, by taking bows and stuff. It was it was ridiculous. It felt like a Charlie Chaplin movie, you know, and just nothing going right. And then you're sitting there like like a toddler, like in the puddles, yelling at each other. But you look up and all these people are first smiling, then laughing with us. And then we're just like, screw it. You like, know, just get up the, and take a bow, you know. When I think back to like part of the reason that we laughed, we were exhausted. You know, if you remember like the, the day before... We had run down to this dyer in, in, that dyed our T-shirts in New Bedford, and then we uh, went out to a screen printer, and they got things wrong, and we had to redo things. And we stayed up all night arguing about which things to print, which things not to print. And we were just 
exhausted by the time we were supposed to get out in the street and sell. So sometimes when exhaustion takes over, I don't know, you just can't fight anymore. And we were fighting over things, you know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know, it just, uh, it was one of those moments. But the, but the interesting thing is coming out of that, we felt like if we could get through that and if those people really in the end weren't judging us even at that point, then like people will help you. We'll, we'll find a way on this thing. And you know, like we're, we're not, we're not going to fail. We're going to get through this thing. And Cal, tying it back to your story where you're at right now, as much verbal abuse as we've given Kevin Heckman to have one other person, you know, Bert and I grew up in bunk beds. We argue all the time, but like to have somebody to be a sounding board and to laugh things off with pretty huge when we had so many nights over the course of five years where you sold zero shirts or you got kicked out of a dorm or, you know, something went wrong. You know, I hope there's someone, whether it's Kevin or someone who's not a criminal who can help you um, to get, get through the ups and downs. <laughs> Kevin is the nicest guy. He makes friends with everybody. Careful. Careful. <laughs> this guy, his main character attribute is his ability to make friends with people. Yeah, it, it sounds to I, me I like just, you're describing his mother, who I've met and is really sweet person and is full of love. Kevin. I started dangerous. this as a fan of Kevin, but while we were talking, I looked him up and he's got a horrible record behind him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. The easiest guy to get along with. <laughs> Come into my web, said the spider to the fly. <laughs> okay, so you actually raise a great point. Uh, what is it like, anybody listening to this conversation can hear the love between you two guys, but you're navigating this path and, and you've got different personalities. How do you determine which way to go? We say it all the time, like um, the benefits far outweigh the negatives of, of being brothers, knowing each other this well. Um, so we'll argue stuff out right now. Bert is CEO. You talked about CEO. So ultimately the key business decisions between our president, Lisa, Bert with plenty of input from me and other leaders, but we're going to lean Bert's way. And if there has to be a final call, but in terms of like arguments or how you navigate that, we each have areas of strength where you maybe weigh the person's opinion a little more. But overall, it's like the most unifying thing is our mission, spread the power of optimism. The rest is details. So it's like make your point, try to convince the guy, then just pick a lane. We're going to be fine either way as long as we're united around the deeper purpose and the long-term mission. It's a really good question, you know, when you ask how do you decide which way to go. It's kind of a miracle that John and I got through so many years without having a clear process for that. But we... Somebody came to work for us, and I don't know where it came from, because I've tried to look this up and I don't see it either, but with a system called DCI. DCI, have you heard of that? No, what is it? One person is the decision maker. There are multiple um, consultants, and then you have informees, people who need to be informed, but who don't get a say in the matter necessarily beforehand, but their jobs are impacted by it, so they need to know what's going on. We utilize that now, and we do our best uh, company-wide to respect the DCI system. 
And a DCI system is used for something that's a big, big decision. If wholesale is going to take on a new channel of distribution, right? Somebody needs to own that. And in the DCI system, there's one decision maker, one. There's usually two to four consultants, right? And then there's any number of I's, informees, right? So once we've implemented that, we are so much more efficient and effective. It, it is a much better system. We did have to kind of like, took it out for years over things, and we're aligned with each other, John, on the long term. We didn't always agree on the short term, so we'd find our way to an answer. But I think since we adopted that many years ago, DCI, it's really made uh, for, for better decision-making. And, um, you know, if you've ever been at a meeting at a business where you leave the meeting and you're not quite sure who, where the power is, who's the decision-maker, what the next step is, what your role is in it, that's frustrating. You just spent 45 minutes or an hour sitting down with, with a, a bunch of your comrades trying to decide something and you don't quite know where it's going to go, it's a terrible feeling. And someone's got to own it. And for every topic within our company, somebody's got the D. Somebody's, you know, and they know who their C's are and their I's. It can be really small. Like if, if we're going to redecorate this room, somebody's the D. And then maybe they, they choose Cal and Johnny are going to be consultants on it. And Cal says, hey, I think we should do, you know, uh, bright colors in here that represent Jamaica. Okay, great. And Johnny says, I have a different opinion. I think the room should represent Ireland. Okay. And uh, the, the decision maker listens to you both. Doesn't have to do what either of you says, but listens respectfully and then moves forward. And then the consultants need to support the decision maker. And once the, they decide to paint that room and they decided to paint it in pastel colors, because that's what they thought was right for the business. What would you do to this room, Cal? What, what, would, what would you, what pattern? <laughs> I like the brick. All right. I'm a big brick and mortar guy. Yeah. Okay. I wish they and all could be Cal Fussman decisions. <laughs> not only that, I, not only do I love the brick, but that sky blue, that's my favorite color. Great. Whoa. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't change it. You'd say, leave it. Let's save the money and leave it. Do you think it. Bert that's looks, right. Bert, right. does he look glorious thank you right for your, Thank you for your consultation. <laughs> And, and the decision maker might go in a different direction. You can't cry about it because you also have to trust that somebody, and this is done in a hierarchical fashion, decides who the decision maker is on something. So Lisa, who's the president of the company right now, might decide for her whole team who's the decision maker on a lot of projects. It's not always easy, but it's much easier when you know it's your decision or when you don't. And what we find is when somebody, using a sports analogy, when you take a timeout and you say, Cal, you're going to shoot the ball. There's six seconds left. We're going to set a pick and you're going to shoot the ball. We've found that most people do a lot better when they know they're being counted on and they're being given the ball. Instead, if five guys are listening to the coach and said, see how the play develops and I don't know, whoever's feeling it, take the shot. Well, that's a little different and, you know, no, not everyone's aligned on it and uh, the chances of making that shot are, are lower, you know? Oh, man. Yeah. And I would be that second coach. Right now, I'm that second coach. Well, I'm, I'm put, the, implement the DCI. That's, implement I, the DCI. You have now the charge on this consultation. Oh, it's expensive. <laughs> it's ex Johnny, look up DCI. What's the price on, on transfer uh, We get that, that down for... 
$3,000 for a DCI consultation. I was going to say 30000 so that's why I do the price. I'm the D on pricing. Johnny be giving the house away. I think my million dollars is going to be out of my pocket. Exactly. The, the profit room. margin on that million dollars is spent already. <laughs> oh, man. So what happens when you both see something and you both look at each other in a way that says, we don't even have to talk. We don't even have to sing. We know <laughs> this works. Yeah, that, that happens for us with words and visuals. Like, so even though it's interesting, you know, John said, well, Bert's the CEO and John's been playing a big role in marketing through the years. And um, we both started in design way back, you know. Well, it's kind of coming full circle where we're going back to creative content, designing T-shirts and, you know, writing for the business, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the things where we don't even have to talk. When we can listen to somebody say something or we can read an article and we'll pick the exact same two sentences that we would have tweaked that we didn't love or the exact two that we thought were the funniest, most poignant you know, the center of the thing, the centerpiece, we're always aligned on that stuff. The business stuff hasn't been as easy through the years. But what we're learning after all these years, uh, we mentioned having a, a woman named Lisa Tanzer as president. She's really running the business now. Okay. So I was president and CEO before. And um, Lisa is five to 10 times the operator I ever was. 10 times, easily. And not ashamed to admit it, should have made that move a long time earlier, right? So when it comes to operating the business, you need a D, a decision maker who was born to do that. And I think really what John and I are learning after all these years is we're born to make the jokes. We're born to... Do the singing. Do the, no, the, not the, so much on the singing. Yeah, not the, so much. The art, the writing, like that's what we love to do. That's what we've always loved to do. And Bert's point about knowing which part like if we do a word game let's say a big family gathering they're just like you got you got to break up Bert and John like because because of the bunk bed and everything it's like we just have it's ridiculous no, like the references they do these games they do the games yeah. at family reunion and stuff with like five clues between two people and four clues and three and what can you get to and John and I have done it with no clues Look, we don't know. We just kind of sensed it. You know, like a tree senses that the weather's changing. <laughs> oh, man. So what was the one moment where you guys both knew you looked at each other and said, there it is. The street fair, right? Oh, yeah. At, at Definitely. The first day we sold Life is Good in the Street. We kind of had a there it is in our apartment once we committed to printing 48 shirts, which is what we did in those days when we thought we had a winner. Down you know? 48 shirts, 48. you're making a big yeah. commitment. commitment. It was a commitment. It's like it, you it, standing up and saying a million dollars for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Absurd. It, it sounds funny. It, it sounds funny, but it, but it was. It really was because we didn't have any money. We were down to 78 bucks or something. We didn't, we didn't have money. So yeah. it was like when you did that, well, when you're stuck with 48 t-shirts that didn't work, you hate yourself, you know, so you want to you want to have a winner. And we felt as though, wow, this is really great. And when we got them screen printed, we, we looked at them and said, I love this. Mm. I love I love. Oh, this is us. Warm out yeah. of the oven. Mm. 
What were the other? Fresh teas. Well, for those who don't know, what was the image that, that you it saw? Was, it was Jake, the Life is Good character, who was a smiley stick figure, but he didn't have a body on the original ones, just his face and uh, with a, his trademark beret on and, uh, and a big smile and sunglasses. And it just handwritten said, Life is Good uh, underneath it. That was it. Had a little frame around him. Had a kind of a it's little like funky pattern, bohemian-looking frame. And the moment, while we, you know, it was a pretty good moment the day before. The moment of truth was: Does it sell? Is it because we had all these ideas for five and a half years, and none of them really sold? And it sold like mad. Forty-eight T-shirts sold in forty-five minutes, and that was the lightning. That was like, oh, oh, what just happened? So we, you're looking at each other saying... 48 t-shirts would I mean, take us sometimes a week to sell. And we sold them in 45 minutes. Man. And we looked at each other and said, we, we got it. This is it. And we did these street fairs for years when we'd be back in Boston. And you set up and you might sell 10 or a dozen for the whole day. So you're there for eight hours. And your friends help and you have fun interacting with people. But you're desperately hoping they just stop to, at the table and even look at your artwork, never mind. And then a few people buy it. We did Christmas fairs where um, the person next to us a few times made little reindeer out of Lifesavers, and they sold more and, and drove more revenue than our T-shirt table. That's true, remember? Oh, yeah, I thought we, it was dogs got, made it. Yeah. But, but yeah. We got upstaged by the Lifesaver She girl. was about 80, 87, I thought, the woman that, that sold the Lifesavers. I mean, that's a crushing blow when you see a, a Lifesaver reindeer. They didn't even look like reindeer. I mean, they were, they were hideous like yeah. candies, and, you know, and, and she was selling them for like $20 each. And it was the same price as our T-shirts at the time. Oh. And people were gobbling up the Lifesavers. We, we, were we were thinking if we could make edible T-shirts, maybe that would, you know. We were laughing when they were set, she was setting up. Like, what a joke. Like, I thought it was dogs, but... Yeah, maybe maybe they were some, dogs. Yeah. Maybe they were dogs. I don't know. Like, and uh, she blew our doors off. We didn't do any sales. Crushed us. Crushed by the Lifesavers. So a lot of days like that, like yeah. little craft fairs or in the dorms, you know, nobody wants... Either it's the... The, the graphic, the saying, they don't like the price. They Have you don't. ever seen a grown man crushed by a Lifesaver girl? No. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. Two grown men. <laughs> so all that pent up sort of in your, oh, in your back of your head and all of a sudden that day on this fair, I was like, oh, what was that? The 48 shirts go. And it's something, you know, getting ahead of it a little bit, but it's something you really believe in. Both of us, like, we've, we had been kind of trying to figure out what our thing was that we wanted to stand for. Yeah, it was coming together like, like that day. And, and the, the, the next thing, you know, the first thing, sometimes people don't want to hear this because they, they hear about these days, our kids' foundation, and, you know, oh, well, you're trying to do this. Or we're trying to survive. We, we were trying to avoid getting a job and keep our business alive, right? But the, the first, so the first thing that mattered was cash in the pocket. It really does. It sounds like, oh, well, is that, is that like, you know... Uh, shallow or something no i mean you you're, you're running a business t-shirts in the van and the van needs gas that's yeah. right that's right, right. That's so right. the very first thing was wow these people are giving their heart to get people in the street to reach into their pocket and give you their hard-earned money right that they've worked hard for for something you made is hard and we had failed so many times at it when we saw them easily giving it and it wasn't about us, it was about them. They looked at it and there was an emotional connection. 
And they, so the first thing was, wow, these people are giving us their money easily. And it went into our pocket, right? And the second thing was that we noticed these people were really different from each other, you know? They, oh, they were, that must have been a great feeling. Yeah. A great feeling. What bandwidth. Yes, very different people from each other. Yep. And there was there was one of my favorite moments was one kid was like had a skateboard with him and he had long purple and green hair and uh, he tried to steal a shirt and he got about a block and a half away and Johnny ran a block and a half and tackled him. And it was a nice tackle right in the street on the concrete. Nice. Hit him pretty good. And the kid felt it hard. And he, Johnny came back with the shirt, a little stretched out, but we sold it. And, um, and, and that kid, here's the most amazing part, not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. That kid came back maybe, uh, you know, within, I don't know, 20 minutes or something later with money, apologized, and bought it. Oh. What's the chances of that? Man. That was What a, a day. That was incredible. What a day. Yeah, preppy school teacher bought one. Uh, Harley guy bought one. The people from different walks of life buying the same message. And when the guy came back, did you, did, did was there some moment? I had a step between or? them. I, I, had a, I had a step between them. My focus, you knew right there who was going to be the CEO, right? Because my focus was make the sale. <laughs> oh, man. So now you've just seen these things go, and now there's no shirts there. What do you do, what do, you do then? Well, we do the, the, the only thing. What do you mean people, there's no shirts? Because they're gone? Them. Oh, yeah, but we've got all these other designs that don't sell anything close so, to that so the other designs we do we do the only thing next that anybody from boston does when they want to celebrate and when they want to figure out what's next you get it you get in our van the enterprise and we drive down to cape cod and go swimming in the ocean that's what you do around here and we went swimming in the ocean and we kind of enjoyed it for a little while and said wow we sold all those shirts what are we going to do next because we really knew this was the thing what are we going to do and we came up with the answer or the ocean gave us the answer which was, let's try to wholesale them. Let's try, this is our chance. Now we got something that could be our brand. Let's try to sell them to retailers. So as soon as we got out of the water, soaking wet in our board shorts, we got in a van and we drove around and tried to sell, open up an account that would sell these shirts for us. We, we had uh, no success. Nobody wanted to take the no. shirts. No, they Even all. After you told them, look, we just put yeah, these out. Yeah, we did. We minutes. did, but we just didn't look the part, and they they just thought we were I don't know making things up, and it wasn't working. We didn't look very professional, I guess. And then one woman took a chance, and she said she loved the idea, and she ordered twenty four, and so we sent those to her, and that was our first account, Nancy, and uh, she had a little shop uh, that sold flip flops right on the beach down in the Cape. She kind of gave us our first idea about how to evolve the business. This is when the ice cream came That's in? right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he was saying, just trying to get a sense. Can, can we take a break for a sec? Or? Uh, sure, go ahead. Yep, can yep. we take a break? Because this is a big business and big decisions need to be made. And everything should be determined by ice cream. <laughs> I'm a big believer in that. Buddy. We got an intermission here. We got started on the podcast a little later than we expected, and it bumped into another meeting Bert and Johnny had scheduled. So they went off to take care of that meeting 
which gives me the perfect time to bring in another of my sponsors, WeWork. While I was in Boston this week, I stopped in at the WeWork on Massachusetts Avenue, and that's in Cambridge. As usual, I was made to feel right at home, this time by Jeff at the front desk. My WeWork Global Access Pass makes me feel at home wherever I go in the world. All I got to do is go to my cell phone and book a space. Takes less than a minute. And if it takes me less than a minute, you know how easy that is because let's face it, right now, I ain't exactly Mr. Technology. That's going to change because I'm headed back to MIT. For now, go to www.we.co slash cal for a 20% discount on office space at WeWork and feel just as home as I do wherever I go in the world with WeWork. Bert and Johnny have returned. All the microphones are reset. Intermission is complete, so let's go back into the conversation. Okay, we're back from intermission. The ice cream story. Ah, the ice cream story. So, as simple as this, we sold the t-shirts that just had Jake's face on them to Nancy down on the Cape, and uh, she called our apartment about a week and a half, two weeks later, and she sold all 24 T-shirts, which was huge news. Great. Do you want some more? Yes. Wait, may yeah. I add that she said, I'm calling with a reorder, and Bert and I were holding, both holding the phone in our little dive apartment. We said, what's a reorder? And she's like, it's, it's an order that you order yeah, we did, the yeah, same I mean, stuff. The point is, we, we never heard reorder before. We didn't know what that was. <laughs> so... So that was the first ridiculous thing. The second, more important thing was that <laughs> she said, uh, you remember that our, so we're going to order more shirts, great. Um, but my husband and I were talking, you remember our shops next to an ice cream shop. And we said, well, okay, what's the point? You know? And she said, well, we were wondering if that character, Jake, eats ice cream. And we said, no, but he will. And, and, uh, <laughs> and that you know, was it. Simple enough to put an ice cream cone in. That's how we got a body. Because Jake didn't have a body, he was just a head. He, you can't eat an ice cream if you're just a head. You gotta have a, you gotta hold the cone. Life is so limited without a body. I've found. Anyway. So uh, yeah, so the funny thing is that she led to her sister-in-law, who had a shop up in Vermont, who uh, wanted Jake riding a bicycle. And pretty soon we learned that all we had to do was ask people what they love. And whatever it was, let's celebrate it on a T-shirt, and that's what life is good became. Playing Just guitar, going for a hike, hanging out with your dog, gardening, like yoga, the ocean, the uh, a tall pine road tree, trips, anything that people love, you know. And it wasn't about us being brilliant, even though I, you could probably tell by now I'm slightly more brilliant. It wasn't about you being brilliant. <laughs> no, but really, it was about just being open and listening to people. Well, you know what? Listening is brilliance. Mm. I think yeah. that's the lesson here. Are you pandering to the listeners of your podcast? <laughs> well, there's a you 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 sounds like it. You, you're right that there's something there that as leaders of businesses, we all kind of think we have to come up with the answers, and we never have. I mean, if you think about it, making life as good as a T-shirt came from a woman that showed up at our keg party who pointed to the design on the 
on the wall and she wrote on the wall, this guy's got life figured out. That's what became Life is Good. Then the right? retailer's saying, hey, what about Jake eating ice cream or a bicycle? Right. And then the biggest one of all, these people that, that started sharing their stories about overcoming things just by focusing on what's right in their life. They're, they're the ones who taught us the depth of the message. So all along, you know, you're, you're right on the money, even if you were just being funny saying hey, listening is brilliant. It, it really is the key out there. I mean, you don't have to have, to have it all. People, people are going to help you. And that's what's happened all along with us. Well, what happened when all these voices start coming at you with problems that they had to deal with, obstacles they had to overcome? Where did you see your opening? Well, meanwhile, there? sales are taking off, but we're also getting this sort of deeper level of fuel. Like, we, we've got to grow this thing. This message is really deeper than we realized at the beginning, and it can help a lot of people. And the more we heard from people saying, my hat helped me stay positive during chemo, for example, or all sorts of stories like that, we said, we, we got to reach more people with a message. And at the same time, we had created our Life's Good Kids Foundation. And that was, was all about helping kids overcome poverty, violence, and illness. And it was like, there's, there's kids out here out in the well, world. Well, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't create the Life is Good Kids Foundation. We didn't, we didn't hear from it. You know what I mean? He's summarizing a lot I'm, there. I'm condensing. We, we you know, what happened was when those letters and things started coming in, the most interesting and compelling ones came from children. And the most courageous ones, believe it or not, came from children. Two brothers, one was blind, one was with one leg, never asked for anything. They sent us a funny, wholesome, incredibly grateful uh, letter, just grateful for life. They didn't ask for anything. 10 and, years old. Yeah, 10 years old, just remarkable. And so the Kids Foundation came from one pumpkin festival. We just decided instead of putting money into advertising, which is what people were telling us we should do because the t-shirts were selling more, we hosted one event where we let people carve pumpkins and we said we're going to donate all the money um, to a camp up in Maine for families of kids with life-threatening illness. And it was like the best day of our lives. It was unbelievable. People showed up. You know, people came out of the woodwork. They drove in their pickup trucks. They brought pumpkins. We had pumpkin pie eating contests. We had pumpkin <laughs> ice cream, ice cream once and a individuals lot. are walking right? up that night to a tower full of pumpkins. They're pointing to the one that they carved, showing their friends. And it was a cool symbol of like, I was a small part of something really big, bigger and beautiful that happened today. And it helped kids who really need it. And, that, and that's when we got hooked. I mean, we went home after that festival and said, we, we got to throw some more parties like this. This is a fun party, and we're raising money and awareness for kids who need it. Who doesn't love that? People and the, are tuning into the fact that you don't have to run 26 miles to do something good to raise money. And you heard about the ice bucket challenge, just literally dumping ice on somebody, and you're raising money for, for a great cause. That's what our festivals were about. You don't have to be in anguish, even though the, the cause is pretty serious. Well, that's what happens. The Pumpkin Festival, you know, the, 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 the Pumpkin Festival was just one event, but it became Life is Good Festivals and Life is Good Music Festivals. And, you know, they grew and they grew and they went from that first time raising $86,000 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think 82. $86,000, yep. something like that. And, and, you know, the last three Life is Good Music Festivals have raised over a million dollars at each event. Wow. And every single time, every penny goes to families of kids who really need it. 
And so, the, you know, the interesting thing with the business, in the beginning, people would say, how does this impact your business? No idea. But today we can look back and say, we, we say oh, you gave away so much. We don't think we gave away anything. Because for every dollar we gave away, $10 came back in with people buying our t-shirts and saying they're good people. And so why wouldn't businesses go wow, do that? Man. Why wouldn't you go help your communities, help the people who are needed, et cetera? It, the way people are, are building businesses they love and tearing down businesses they don't in the digital age, why not feel good about yourself and let your community build your business? That's, that's the incredible thing we've seen. Even when we fall, when we make mistakes, our community knows we're actually trying to do something good in the world and they help us fix any issues that come up. And they're, like I said earlier, they're co-writing the story with us. And now that the nonprofit, the, the Kids Foundation, and it's a unique integrated model, both in, we're, we're sitting here in the offices of both the Life's Good Kids Foundation and the business, Life is Good. And we really do help each other quite a bit. And the Kids Foundation, we started out helping, working directly with kids, and we realized pretty quickly we could have much greater impact working with the heroes that are in the trenches every day, the teachers, the counselors, and help them to retain and nurture their own sense of and they're openness, everywhere. They're strength, everywhere. Foster optimism. care centers, homeless shelters, oncology departments. There's professionals out there, but nobody's got their back, you know, There's so, so that's what we're out. trying to do, help the helpers. So much burnout in those situations, but these people, after they go through one of our trainings, led by our Kids Foundation, they kind of replenish their own source of optimism, and they, they learn things they can go back to again and again. And we found that a lot more sustainable than these smaller play therapy groups we started out doing. And uh, now we're positively impacting over 1 million kids every year. Man, a million kids every year. I feel like we're just getting started, too. Whoa. Man, what are your mom and dad looking ahead in time if they could and seeing this? What would be the expression on their faces? Well, the interesting thing is they did get to see, you know, both our parents passed away a few years ago. And mom, it was sudden. She got cancer out of nowhere. And um, it was a tough one on us. It really was. She was 86, but... She was no old woman. She, her mother lived to be 103. She was headed down the same way. But she got the demon cancer, and it, and it took her. And then our dad, you know, they were married 56 years, so he died shortly after that. The good news is, before they left, they sat at a few of those Life is Good music festivals, and they saw 30,000 optimists clapping their hands, dancing, playing uh, frisbee and football and swinging at the batting cages and gathering together. You know, I think they were proud of us, not as much for the success of the business. That's always fun. But the fact that we, we've stayed focused and that people from all walks of life were, are able to join together. But they also, you know, stayed humble that, that they, they know it's not all about us. They know it's more about that... Uh, we bumped into a message, those three magic words, life is good, that unites and inspires people. And, um, you know, that's where we started at the beginning was saying, hey, all this negative news, maybe we could just, you know, find some way to get people together and focus on what's right. So um, our parents did get to see it and they did get to celebrate. I think the real miracle in this whole thing is that most people don't realize that both our parents at points in their adulthood were heavily depressed. 
Our dad was heavily depressed during our entire childhood, our entire upbringing. Well, there was a motor accident, right? There was a motor accident, and he lost the use of his right arm. He's a but, super, like, avid outdoorsman, handy guy in his work every day, and then he lost the use of his right arm in an accident. Both. But there was already economic pressure. I mean, we, we were in an upper-middle-class town, but we were living close to the line of poverty. When you talk about eight people on on one salary and um, and not a big one. And I think my dad felt like he had lost his American dream and maybe he had failed his family. So when he was yelling and screaming at us and our mom, he was really yelling and screaming at himself. And, and you know, that's, that's our dad. So an unlikely event is that you know, that dad's kids will start an organization focused on optimism. But our mom had gone through severe depression when she was in art school, um, so much that she was put into a mental facility and, and told that uh, she'd never live a normal life. Wow. Yeah. They, they actually tried to get her to her parents to sign something that would make it illegal for her to ever have children. Oh, Should have man. been illegal to have you, Johnny. I was thinking oh, no, if they could have stopped after four, <laughs> oh, and somehow no, but skipped. really, but really, you know, we can always we can always <laughs> joke. Humor is a superpower. But oh, but man. really, I mean, the point I was trying to make is that depression is rampant in the world today, and and people think they're alone when they're depressed. Hey, both of our parents were depressed, and in the end, they both did a good enough job. And we'd say, actually, in the end, a great job, despite all the dysfunction and shortcomings that they had and that our family and upbringing had. But they did a good enough job that all six kids landed on our feet and went on to do good things. And, and Johnny and I got lucky and have this company that allows more people to focus on what's good in their lives. And there's lots and lots of our customers that have uh, bouts with depression and anxiety and mental disorders, and um, we're working with them. You know, Especially and really the whole the, the whole Kids Foundation and the whole focus of the organization is about em emotional health. That's that's the driver. That's the reason for the whole thing. With the overwhelming amount of info flying at people today through twenty four seven news and and their devices, etc., I think it's even more prevalent. Uh, I think seventy four percent of U.S. citizens report, you know, feeling anxiety every week. And um, we, we didn't talk enough about Joan, and I don't think we have enough time to go deep into it. But we do, do want to mention, like, despite the stuff she was wrestling with, she was this beacon in our childhood of positive energy in just intentionally bringing it to her kids, you know, where she would laugh, tell stories, sing, She'd and wake you put up on in the, the music. She'd Always wake. singing and yeah. putting on the music. She'd turn off the television, and she'd turn on the tunes. And Always. she'd have us drawing on the on the you know just spread out on the kitchen floor, and that was you know with our dad in a really tough spot, so frustrated and overwhelmed financially, and then the accident. She we look back and say, how the hell did she like kind of manage the energy in the house. And it was really the little things she did, like at the dinner table saying, tell me something good that happened today. She really steered us toward focusing on that one, two, three positive and, things and or absurd things that to build yeah, on. I, I think really like that's because she went through the depression. You know, she suffered with all that and that's how she clawed her way out of it. Just one little thing at a time 
Her mom took her for walks and, you know, they, they started, the, my, my mom couldn't even talk. She, went, she had a, several, several months, you know, six or seven months where she didn't talk. That's how depressed she was. Oh, man. And she got her focused on certain trees and certain birds. And um, one day she spoke, you know, and one thing led to the next. So I think my mom said, no matter what's going on, let's always just find something good to focus on. And, and that's effective. That's really, that was the inspiration for Life is Good. It sounds so simple, but I think we can all do that. I think we're very tough on ourselves, human beings. And there is that fight or flight instinct that, you know, is, is very susceptible to fear. And the news loves to prey on that just to try to get you to watch more. But um, Joan was someone who broke through a lot of obstacles and just intentionally decided, I'm going to focus on good things. I know how many challenges the world brings, but I'm going to help my kids to focus on positive things. And um, that, and then we hear it from the customers who've been through much worse things than we have individually, and they prove it every day that what we focus on grows. Well, after listening to that, I got exactly what I came in. The consulting fees on this may be huge, <laughs> <laughs> but I leave here not knowing what's going to happen with Million Dollar May, but I'm just going to be grateful. Uh, grateful that whatever happens, it led me to this table to be with you guys, to listen to your story. Uh, I'm not going to think of this like a shallow guy. I'm going to think of this with gratitude. So thank you. Wow. You. Not going to think of it, Johnny, like a shallow guy. Who do you want to be, Bradley Cooper or Lady Gaga? Oh, you're Gaga oh, no. all the way. You got it. You got happy to be Gaga. One, two, three. Crash through the surface where they can hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. That was really beautiful, bro. Cal, we love you, Yeah, buddy, we love you. Thank you so much, Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Anytime, man. (laughs) Stop by anytime. (laughs) That was beautiful. That about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for pushing me to start this podcast. It just keeps on giving me joy and takeaways for living a better life. And thank you, Luce Fleming. You were heroic for bringing that audio back to life. Really appreciate it. And this podcast just wouldn't be the same without you. Want to thank my sponsors for bringing it to you. That means Sportique for 20% off the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, and tees. Go to Sportique.com and use the offer code CAL. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E dot com. You're going to be glad you did. And we work. For 20% off office space wherever you are in the world, go to www.we.co slash CAL. They say it's where your company can meet community. I say it's home. And I want to remind you that I'll be doing a storytelling workshop in Munich, Germany on July 5th and 6th. Everybody's welcome, but the focus is on businesses that want to tell their authentic stories in the most compelling way. We'll be going over the rules of storytelling so that when you need to tell your business's story, 
your product story, your customer story, or your personal story, you'll be prepared. By the end of the workshop, you'll walk out with those stories polished and gleaming. If you got questions, go to hello at cocrea.com. That's hello at C-O-K-R-E-A.com or call 49. That's the country code 157-7366-1082. And Christoph will take care of you. If I don't see you in Munich, email me and tell me where you'd like me to bring the workshop to be close to you. One day, we will clink glasses. Cheers.